As we uh, continue our look at this great book, Galatians, we come to this section now where uh, Paul gets very, uh, it's almost like he decides to say, I've tried this particular method of, of reaching out to you by proving to you theologically and very practically what this means and, and what you're tempted to do as if you decide to go with this false teaching of, of adding to what Jesus Christ has already done for you. And it's very practical. If you read it, you'll see that. And then you come to this section that we're going to see today where Paul takes a different tact. And he gets very personal. He lets them know how much he cares for them. And he exposes what I would say are a few myths. How many of you watched the show Mythbusters when it came out a while back? Okay, so fascinating show. Those two individuals, they, they, they have a myth and, or, or they have this thing that, that people believe to be true. And then they, through a course of, of experiments, they either prove its validity or they simply say it's, it's a myth you know, and they go from there. But it's very, it's fascinating the depth that they go to, all the science involved, and all these different things that they do to prove whether or not this is true. And when we come to the Bible, and when we come to when we come to these places in the Word, there are times when we want to think that the Bible is somewhat disconnected to us. Yet as you read through God's word and you read through what, what, how the Holy Spirit inspired these individuals to, to write what they wrote, you realize this is real life stuff. There are real emotions here. There are real struggles that, that people experience. It's not just simply some words on paper. This is about life and this is about what needs to happen. And what Jesus Christ does, and, and I think for, for all of us, there's this belief, and it's a myth, that we can actually do more without him than with him. That we can actually accomplish what, 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 uh, what salvation is all about, that we can accomplish that on our own. And what Paul does here, again, is he busts that myth wide open. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. If you, have a, if you want to look at it on your Bible app on your phone, scroll there. And we're going to start at Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. And listen to what Paul says here. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with scorn or contempt. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people, and speaking of the false teachers, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. 
What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Father, we pray as we open your word now, we ask that this faithfulness that we sang a few moments ago, that we would remember that faithfulness as we unwrap and unpackage this passage, that your faithfulness is so true in ministering to us wherever we are in life, whatever's happening in our lives, we would ask that that faithfulness would continue to draw us ever closer to yourself. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see that truth, that you would open our ears so that we can hear that truth, that you would open our minds that we could understand that truth, and that you would open our hearts that we would be transformed by that truth, that you are a faithful God whose grace is abundant and truly is amazing. So Lord, may no one hear anything I say, but may it only be what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And Lord Jesus Christ, may you receive all glory. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by him, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Myth number one that I believe Paul exposes, and not just, not just exposes, but it's something that, that so often we hear and, 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 and we think it's true, and it's this myth. The past was better. The past was better than the present, and today's present will be better than, than what it is in the future. And we've all heard the stories. We've all recounted stories of, of our past, and, we, and, we, enliven, and we, we seem to focus in on the great things that happened, yet we forget the pain that was involved in the process. The past was the past. The present is the present. The future is the future. Time is time. And what Paul's saying here is, is this, don't look back. Don't look back, and not only do you not look back, but don't glamorize the past. Don't glamorize the past in such a way that you forget about the harm that was done to you back then. It's amazing to me when I look back on my past, there are these countless experiences that I have that were so pleasant, but yet I seem to remember more vividly the pain that I experienced in the past. Don and I went back to Kansas City on vacation a few weeks ago, and, and we were back there, and, and I think I shared this with you a little bit. You know, I, I had a, I, you know, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. Do you want to time warp my bedroom? They still have my high school football picture up on the wall. I want to tell my parents, I'm going to say, you know, it's the 21st century. <laughs> Feel free to take that off the wall. But this, it's almost like this museum of my childhood. And it's sort of eerie at times. And it sort of bothers me a little bit. But the other thing that strikes me is there were times in my past, and this is what Paul's alluding to here, there are times in your past, Galatians, 
when things were not that good. Look at the words he uses here. He uses the word slaves. He talks about being enslaved again. And he says this in verse 9. And we're going to come back to the slavery thing in just a moment. But look at verse 9. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God. I want to start it this way. Right now, at this very moment, God is thinking about you. You're on his mind right now. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. And he has every single human being on his mind right now. Your fears, your joys, your, your peace, your anxieties, your concerns. He knows it all right now. And Paul alludes to that in verse 9 saying, He knows about you. He knows who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet you want to return back. You want to return back to this time when you think that you had to prove to God who you were. He's saying it, it, it need not be that way. In your Bibles, flip all the way back to Exodus chapter 16. And he says this. I mean, we'll get there eventually. But he's talking about being slaves. He says, do you wish, at the latter part of verse 9, he says, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? In Exodus 16, starting at verse 1, read to verse 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. Keep that in mind. It's been about two and a half months since they came out of Egypt. After 400 years of slavery, it's been two months and 15 days that they're out of slavery. Verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Are you serious? You guys spent 400 years in the desert. Slaves. You didn't get to eat all you wanted. You didn't get to do whatever you wanted. Now you're free, and yet now you say, we liked it better back then. We, at least for me, I shake my head in absolute disbelief. But yet, I forget so often that slavery is always worse than we ever thought it was. And for some reason, we forget that point. We decide to go back. We decide to try and work harder and prove our worth more. And God's saying, I've paid for it all in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's pleading with them here. And he points out one of the things in verse 10. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. The Jewish history is, is filled with, well, not just filled, but their year was filled with different festivals where they would celebrate God's faithfulness to them, and, and they were, there were four festivals throughout the year. And there was, there was great celebrations. You can read about them in the Old Testament, and just all the energy and all the time that went into it. And so he's pointing to that and saying, that's when God was really remind when you were really remembering him. The Jews were really remembering him. But here's what he's saying now. Special days are okay. But here's the thing that it's butting up against. 
You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Special days versus every day. And this is what Paul's pointing to. His grace is available every day, not just some of the days. We remember his grace every single day, not just on these particular festivals, but we remember his grace every single day. New Year's Day, we have these New Year's resolutions. Everybody says, I'm changing my life now. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to invest better, whatever the case may be. And within one month, people have pretty much given up on all those resolutions. We hear it time and time and time and time and time again. What Paul's driving at here is we have God's grace. It is available all the time. My question to all of us is this. Are you waiting for some special time to experience God's grace? Or are you going to say, I'm going to experience it now? And then remember what I said earlier. Paul gets very personal with them. And look at verse 11. He says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. You hear Paul's heart here. I've worked so hard to help you understand God's grace. I've worked so hard to help you understand that he's there for you. I've worked so hard to help you, help you get away from this false teaching. But I fear that I've wasted my efforts on you. Hear me clearly on this. Feeling like a failure is different than being a failure. Paul gave everything he could. He was not a failure, yet he experienced feeling like a failure. Talk to any parent who has worked hard to help their children understand how much they care for them, and then all of a sudden their child says, I'm going a different route. Many parents have been down that path before where they've poured into their children. They've, they've done all that they could for their son or daughter and they've poured into them and poured into them and poured into them and then their child decides to go a different way. Did that parent fail? I would say no. They might feel like a failure, but they did what they were called to do as a parent. And trust me, parents, we get it. Being a parent is not easy, and especially at the start of the school year. It's chaos right now. Dawn and I were watching a commercial for Walmart the other day as they were talking about their back-to-school specials, and this is a verbatim quote that my wife says. I thank God that I don't have to do that anymore. Right? I mean, our girls are older now, and we're grateful for that. But it's this, we remember those times. We remember those times when we were pouring in, and Paul's now remembering how much effort he put into the Galatians, and he's saying, I fear that I have wasted my effort on you. Paul, arguably one of the greatest Christ followers of all time, says, I feel like a failure. If you've been there, know that you're not alone. If you've been there, know that God's grace can come in and say, keep going. You parents right now that, are, that have younger children or, or, or their junior hires or their high schoolers, it, it's, it's difficult at times, yet hang in there. 
Know that God cares about you. Know that he's going to walk with you. Know that we have a community of Christ followers here that wants to come alongside you and pray for you and do what we can to support you. But Paul's heart is so real here. And then we come to verse 12, and he exposes another myth. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. This other myth that's out there is that when you come to know Christ, all of a sudden it means that your life is always going to be sunshine and rainbows. That everything's going to be smooth sailing. For the rest of your life. Again, we see Paul's heart here. Again, we see what's going on here. He uses this word, I plead with you. This phrase, I plead with you. He's begging them. You can almost see Paul on his knees saying, please, please, please do not go down this path. And then he takes them back to this time when he was heading somewhere else. And apparently as he was going through Galatia, he got sick, really sick, and he stopped there. He stopped there. And here's what strikes me, is that Paul had no intention of originally going through or, or no intention of stopping there, but this weakness, this sickness, this illness, and by the way, we don't know what it is. We have no idea what it is. It stopped him in his tracks. And instead of sitting there grousing and complaining and whining about it, what does he do? He shares Jesus Christ with him. That's what he does. Paul shared the good news of Jesus Christ in rough times. He didn't allow the rough times to win the day. He allowed God's grace to minister to him and through him. And it strikes me as very interesting in all of our lives, the times that we've experienced Jesus Christ and his grace all the more usually aren't when things are going well. It's usually when things are difficult. Paul shared Christ in all types of fashions. And even when life is rough, we can be witnesses. We can be witnesses. People are wondering how we're going to navigate through this difficult news or through that difficult news or through this circumstance that, that completely came out of the blue. They're looking at Christ followers saying, are you any different than me who's not a Christ follower? Are you any different? They're going to see how we navigate that crisis. And for Paul, it was sharing God's God's good news no matter what it took. Then he says this. He says this in verse 14. Even though my illness was a trial to you, they, they 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 were taken aback by this illness that he had. He then says this. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. It's an interesting remedy. In the Greek, what this says is, you did not, and get this, this is disgusting. I'm grateful that we have better methods of medicine now. In the Greek, what this says is, you did not spit on me. It was believed back in that day that by spitting on a person distracted the evil spirit that was within them that was causing this sickness, and so you spit on them. So Paul shows up with this sickness. Imagine that. Hey, glad to see you here today. And instead of reaching out a hand, 
you spit on the person. That's not exactly a warm greeting. We're not going to start that next Sunday during our meet and greet time, you know. But it's a fascinating thing. It was believed that by spitting on this person, the spirit would go somewhere else and you would not be impacted by it. They had every right to do that. It would have been normal protocol. But what the Galatians did was they welcomed him in. They welcomed him in. In your Bibles, go to Matthew 25. And listen to what happens here. In Matthew 25... Jesus is, knows that the time is coming near for him to be out of here. And he's sharing all these different stories and, and these different things that, that are going to happen. And then he says this. We pick it up in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Uh, creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Galatians lived out Matthew 25. Paul was a stranger. They invited him in. Paul was sick. They took care of him. They received the good news from Paul. And then, if you're interested, go way to the right. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 and listen to what this says, verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The way we treat people, the way we treat strangers communicates God's grace or lack of grace. And what Paul's telling the people is, you guys took care of me. You guys could have made my life miserable. But you never knew when I would share the gospel with you, but you received it. You received that good news. Are we a receptive people to those that are hurting? Are we receptive people to sharing God's new good news with those folks? And he's not done there. Look what happens next. Look at verse 15. Where then is your blessing to me now? I can testify, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and have given, and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? This idea that life is full of rainbows and sunshine and everything's great, it's not accurate. It's a myth. The other idea, the other idea is this, is that when we tell the truth, it's always going to go over well. But telling the truth hurts sometimes. It just does. Before I... Uh, in October of 88, I began uh, my journey... And, be, and serving as a pastor, and I was a pastor for, I was doing student ministry for 22 years. 
And one of the things I love so much about doing student ministry is this, is that students always shot straight with me. They always told me the truth. And we were on a retreat one time. It was a junior high retreat, and, and it was over the weekend. And, and it was, it's junior hires, for crying out loud. I love, I love junior hires. I love high schoolers. But junior hires, I have yet to meet many people that say, man, I want to go back and relive my junior high days. Nobody says that. Very few people do. But we're on this retreat, and there was one particular individual. His name was John Kirk. He was that guy that caused problems all the time. Wherever he went in our, in our student ministry, if there was trouble, John Kirk was in the middle of it. He was a rough individual, meaning he treated the other students not very good at times. And then he had these moments where he treated people really well, and, and Jesus got hold of his life, and some, some cool things happened. But on this particular retreat, he was causing problems. And he ended up picking a fight with another junior hire. The other junior hire walked away, but there was a, gra- there was a crowd of junior hires on this, on this retreat that saw what was, going, what was possibly going to happen. And so they alerted me to what the, that John Kirk was starting tr- trouble and things like that. And so, so I go out to address the issue. Everybody else is gone, and, and it's just he and I. We're, we're underneath this big old tree, and I'm not happy. This one student is derailing everything that we've done to this point. And so I heard his side of the story, gave me his side of the story, which was completely opposite of what everybody else said. And I looked at John and I said to him the following. I asked him the following question. I said, John, do you really think I'm that stupid to believe what you just said to me. And he looked right back at me. No time lapse. And he says, do you really want me to answer that question? (laughs) Inside, I was laughing uproariously. But I could not allow myself to laugh. But the truth stung a little bit. That apparently this student believes I am that stupid to believe his thing. Sometimes when we tell the truth, it hurts. And it hurts when somebody tells the truth to us. And so with the Galatians, the, he's telling them the truth and, he's, and, and they're not happy about it. He's at wit's end about it. But yet, we still need to tell the truth. Jesus Christ told the truth all the time. And there were plenty of people that said, we don't like your truth. Enough, pe- enough so that it put him on a cross. Paul tells the truth. He exposes that. And then we come to these last few verses. Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed by you. The third myth that's exposed here is this, is that loving people is always pain-free. Loving people is always pain-free. That's a myth. It's just not accurate at all. 
And what ends up happening, and we see this, these people that are reaching out to the Galatians to take them away from Jesus Christ, the people that are in our lives that are taking us, that are attempting to take us away from Jesus Christ, we want to believe that they're looking out for our own good. But yet, here's a sad but true thing. Sometimes people do not have your best interest in mind. As Heidi and Stephanie grew up, and I, I, you know, I went on weekly dates with, with each of them, and they entered into junior high and then into high school, and we would have different interactions where they were doing some things that they might not really do that they shouldn't do. And I remember having, um, having a discussion with our older daughter, Stephanie, because she was making some decisions that were not very good. And I said to her, I said, Stephanie, do you really think those friends care about you and want the best for you? She says, yes, I do. And I then went into super dad mode. And I said, I can guarantee you this. There are two people on this planet right now that want the very best for you at all times. It happens to be your mom and me those friends that are wanting you to do this or to do that, they don't care about you at all. They want to harm you. They might not say it, but that's the truth. You could have heard a pin drop just like right now. There are people in our lives that don't want the best for us. They're not going to come right out and say it. But you look at what's going on in your life and look what's going on here. These people are alienating Paul, who cares for them deeply. They're alienating the group. They're alienating the Galatians from the one who's going to speak truth into their lives. So I ask you this question, and here's a way to look at your friendships. And I want to, I want to encourage you to do this. Take a look at your friendships. It's called the friendship barometer. I want you to know this. I want you to think about this question. Are your friends growing you closer to Christ or pulling you further away from Christ. Now I need to add this specific thing to it. I'm talking about Christ following friends, those that claim to be Christ followers. But yet I also want you to know this. In your in the in your life as you seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ, if in the process of you seeking to be a witness for Jesus Christ to those who are not Christ followers, and you find yourself being pulled more and more and more away from Jesus Christ, you need to wake up quickly. Paul says earlier in First Corinthians chapter eleven, he says, Bad company corrupts good morals. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to what's going on. And that's why we need people in our lives that are going to tell us the truth. We need people in our lives that are going to love us. And we need people in our life that are going to just hang in there with us. So are these people drawing you closer to Christ or pulling you further away? And loving people, loving people can cause pain. Caring for people can cause pain. Yesterday, Dawn and I celebrated the, the conclusion of our 28th year of marriage. It has been nothing but smooth sailing, rainbows, and sunshine every single day. Imagine how joyous it is for Dawn to wake up every day knowing she's married to me. It's phenomenal. She's one of the luckiest people on the planet. That's all there is to it. Okay, so we celebrate 28 years, all right? 
But there's another individual in here whose anniversary was on August 9th by the name of Joe Schlegel. They just wrapped up their 74th year of marriage. Okay? 74 years. And so Joe and I were talking earlier. And I looked at him and I said, you've been married 74 years? He says, yes, I have. And then I said this because I'm an insensitive individual. I said, how old are you? Because he looks like he's 80, you know? So that came out badly. I did not want that to come. I'm going to be quiet. But my point is, I'm going, how is this possible? 74 years. The reason why I'm bringing this up is this. He's been married 74 years. Some of you in here have been married more than 40. Some of you have been married just a few years. Some of you have been married, whatever. But here's the deal. It hasn't always been easy. It just hasn't. Loving one another, caring for one another is not easy at times. It causes issues. It causes pain. And that's what Paul's pointing to here. He's saying, I love you so much, but this hurts. Look what he says in verse 19. And this is our spiritual formation theme verse. Is, is Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. One of our core values here is spiritual formation, and this is the verse where we get this from. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I find it interesting, real quickly, that Paul, who never got married, is, con- is comparing the amount of pain that he's in to childbirth. First off, he's a guy. He's never experienced childbirth. Secondly, he's single. He's never, you know, he's never experienced his wife giving birth. But he's talking about how much this hurts him. How much it hurts him that they are turning away. How much it hurts him that that they're not paying attention to what Christ is doing. And he wants to do a great work in their lives, such a great work that it could be on display for all, all, all the people to see how great his grace is and how beautiful his grace is. But yet, they're being locked up. They're being locked up. So an aspiring artist a number of years ago who was commissioned to do a large sculpture for a very famous museum. He finally got the opportunity to create this masterpiece that he had dreamed of. And after laboring over the work for a number of years, he saw this piece of, of sculpture become not just, uh, not just magnificent, but glorious. It was beautiful. He worked on it day after day for year after year. And after a few years, he was done and he marveled at what this sculpture looked like. It's a sculpture that's going to be put in this museum and it's going to be, it's going to have such a huge impact. But then, he was filled with horror when he realized that this very piece of artwork that he did was too big to get out of the room that he created it in. And it was going to cost far more money to rearrange and to tear down this particular part of the building in which he built this, it was no longer, it was no longer viable. He had this great piece of art. He had been longing his whole life to show this great piece of art, and yet now it's locked up, never to be free. 
Christ is doing a work in your life. Christ is forming you. He's wanting it to get out of there. But when we decide to lock it off by thinking that it's all about us, it's all about us doing this good deed or that good deed or this good deed or that good deed, we lock off what Jesus Christ and his grace wants to do. And nobody can see his grace. Nobody can see his glory. Nobody can see what work he's doing in our lives. You see, we don't realize what we have. But Jesus Christ knows what we have. Jesus Christ sees your life. He sees all the good in it. He sees all the not so good in it. He sees the beautiful and the ugly. And he sees what you can't see. He knows that you're loved. He knows that you're cared for. He went to the cross and paid the price for it. When Michelangelo looked at a particular piece of marble, he saw what ended up being his sculpture, the angel holding a candelabra. He was asked about how he created such a beautiful artwork out of a simple marble slab, and listen to what Michelangelo said. I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. When God looks at our lives, he sees the beauty of his grace working. When God looks at our lives, he does not see the mistakes that we've made. He does not see the, the flaws in us. He says, I see Jesus Christ, those who've placed their trust in him. I see the beauty of Christ in their life, and I say, I want to bring that out. Are you allowing Christ to form in your life? Are you allowing him to go deep in your life and work to form you into the people you need to be. And I love what Paul says here in verse 20. He says, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. For Paul, for him it was perplexing that they were not allowing Christ to form in their lives. And, and you can hear his pastor's heart saying, let him go, let him do what he needs to do. Over the course of being of serving as a pastor for over 30 years, I've seen God do great things in people's lives. And then I shake my head at the countless number of people who said, I'm done. I don't want anything more to do with them. It perplexes me because there's no greater story than God's grace forming in a person's life. There's no greater story than him rescuing humanity. And so I ask you this morning, why not let him form you? There is no better way. I'm going to ask Heidi and, and Tony and, and Sherry to come back up as we get ready to sing a couple songs here in just a few moments. But Jesus Christ isn't done. He wants to keep forming us. He wants to keep moving in our lives. He wants to keep molding us into the people that he desires us to be. And so as we go to this time of praying, it's my prayer that we would take some time and reflect on the work that he wants to do in our lives and through our lives and that we would allow him to form us. Father, we pray now. As we consider your work, Father, we confess to you that oftentimes we get caught up in myths of thinking that everything's fine when things aren't fine of thinking that everything's sunshine and rainbows when it's not always sunshine and rainbows, and for thinking that love is always pain-free when it most certainly isn't.
Lord, we confess to you that the work that you want to do in our lives, oftentimes we choose to say, we're going to go our own way. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us for those times that we say no to your grace. When we say no to you forming us into the people you want us to be. And Lord, we rejoice in the fact that you don't quit. We rejoice in the fact that your grace continues to change us. Your grace continues to form us. Your grace continues to reach into those places of our lives that we, that we need healing from. And so, Lord, we pray now as we sing a couple more songs, we would ask that you would hear these songs. And as we sing these songs, that you would continue to remind us of your marvelous grace, your great grace that changes lives and that you would form in us your grace in more magnificent ways than we ever thought possible. Lord, do your work by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite you to stand and sing.